It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Welcome to our latest podcast. It's a pleasure to have you all out there listening. I'm Chloe Thomas, the creator of the e-commerce master plan. I'm a speaker, author and advisor, and I focus on e-commerce marketing. You can join the chat about everything e-commerce in the e-commerce master plan world Facebook group at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. But we're going to dive right into it today because I've got a cracking guest for you. Steve Simonson is a 29 year retail veteran who's now on a mission to share his vast knowledge to help others just like all of us succeed. Steve has founded, bought, built and sold multiple companies, including iFloor.com, which became one of the largest direct sellers of flooring in the world. With those businesses, he's been publicly recognised multiple times, including three years on the Inc. 500 list and multiple listings on the Internet Retailer Top 500. We are in for a treat today. Hello, Steve. Hello, Chloe. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I am really looking forward to chatting retail with you for the next half hour. I think it's going to be um, going to be interesting and enlightening. Uh, now, I've just given our listeners kind of the the big old bullet points about you, but how did you get started off in e-commerce? Well, you know, it's funny. Back in the olden days in e-commerce, uh, literally back in '96, '97. I was looking online, and, and we were very familiar with Amazon. I'm from Seattle, so mm-hmm. it's clear that Amazon had books and DVDs wrapped up. And I just kept wondering, what can I sell online? What can I sell online? I knew that was you know, part of my future. And I, I, as a programmer, as a younger person, I, I loved technology, and I just didn't know what to do with e So uh, in uh, 1998, I, I tested my first e-commerce sale uh, and I sold some area rugs or, you know, the objective was to put area rugs on the uh, the website. So we sold an area rug and my first sale was in 1998. Uh, secure shopping cart was a uh, a big deal back then. And we made a sale to Bulgaria and we all celebrated. Yay. My gosh, your first sale was to Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah. The, That's um, crazy. Spoiler alert, it turns out that one was fraudulent that we only figured out <laughs> after we shipped it. But hey, I still went forward. <laughs> And that was the beginning of it, of it all for you. It truly was. Yeah, we were just uh, over the moon. Uh, it was a Yahoo store back in the day, and we we were just testing and trying to figure out how it all worked. But you know, getting people to place orders online and and make sales even when we weren't around was just like magic. You know, it was just uh, extraordinary. We loved it. And did you have any retail experience before you dived into e-commerce? Was it literally, hey, I can code. This looks exciting. Let's go for it. So th- this was the thing. It's, it's kind of weird. I actually owned retail flooring stores. And so I had area rugs and I had flooring and things. I just, there's no way that anybody's going to buy that online is, was my perception at the time. And after tripping over my samples, you know, for uh, over the course of a couple of years, I finally am like, well, I don't know what else to sell. So I'm just going to try to sell what's physically in my building. And, uh, and that's where it all kind of began. Oh, right. Okay. And then, then clearly with the success of iFloor, you, you very much conquered the world of flooring online. We, we had, we had a good run. Uh, you know, we, we definitely uh, were able to make some things happen and, and, uh, you know, we grew uh, that company very rapidly and, and reasonable scale, you know, 500 plus employees and, you know, 70 plus uh, million run rate. Uh, and then I, I actually exited the company 
probably around the 50, 60 million uh, range, which is typically when I get annoyed with companies. Once I hit about 50 million, my eyes glaze over and I hate going to meetings. <laughs> yeah. It's just, is that the, that's the point at kind of which it stops being startup-y and becomes a bit more corporate, I suppose, isn't it? Certainly for me it is. And, and you know, what I've found that uh, over time you can kind of break the journey into different buckets, right? There's the zero to 1 million and that's kind of a, a really crazy, you know, chaotic journey. And then there's the one to 10 million where you're trying to systematize and flatten things out. And then the 10 to 50 is where you're really trying to scale and, and lay things in. And then the 50 plus million, uh, and we have experience above that number. That's really when you're, you know, setting in policies and procedures and, and, uh, corporate types of things, and I lose my interest at that fifty-plus million range. Once it's in kind of like the legal, technical box-ticking zone. Yeah, exactly. So, given you've taken multiple companies through those different buckets, and I suppose the the great majority of our listeners are in that zero to one million. I would say I know I know we've got quite a few who are over the one million, but I know the majority are in that zero to one. Is it literally that? they should be avoiding systemizing until they hit 1 million? Or is there some level of efficiency and systems it's worth putting in before that, in your experience? Well, I, I, I definitely highly recommend systems as early as possible. That will actually make the journey much faster. It's just in the practical uh, experience that I've seen, when people don't know about systems already, they just kind of flail around until they get the next you know, tick box done and the next uh, goal accomplished. And then only when they hit a certain level, they're like, oh, well, maybe I can spend a little money on making this a systemic solution instead of just kind of burning the, the candle 24 hours a day. A lot of us work too hard on that zero to one million journey. And uh, and I would layer in systems as quick as you possibly can. See, one of the reasons I asked the question is because I'm the sort of person who would who has to hold herself back from creating systems because I quite happily create all the most beautiful systems in the world, even though there was nothing to flow through them. So... I guess that there is, would you say it's a case of wait till you find a pain point, then build the system? Yeah, so that's a fair question. So we do often look at it as, you know, a frustration process. And we say, whatever's, you know, really highly uh, repeating. So don't build a system if it's a one-off deal, in my opinion. Uh, but when something that's causing frustration, something that has that pain point element to it, and that is going to be repeated over and over, that calls for a system. It screams for a system, really. So watch for those moments and then go after it rather than um, creating the perfect set of systems before you've got anything happening. Yeah. So I can tell you, at one point, we tried to acquire a company. We walked in. The company had already uh, raised $150 million and they were basically going out of business and we just wanted to pick up the, the remnants and they actually had a public company shell we were going to reverse into. And they had a, a book that was at least two feet thick, you know, uh, really, really thick book. Here's all of our systems. Here's our procedures and policies. And we had none of that, but we had revenue. And so, you know, it, it, all things being equal, get money and revenue flowing and then they're because <laughs> we won and they lost and we didn't raise money. We raised $0. They raised 150 million and we still won the day. But they had a beautiful handbook. Man, oh man, their book was, I, I would never take the time to read it, but it was, uh, it looked really good. That looks like the sort of book which it would you'd have at least one person permanently keeping it up to date. At least, you yeah. Know? <laughs> that's that's one of the challenges. I do think systemic mindsets and layering in systems is absolutely essential to scale. 
but it's all has to be balanced, you know, right time, right place. Have you talking about, you know, books and, and how you, you know, create that system? Because yes, you can do kind of automations in technology and all the rest of it, but at some point you have to have a human doing a set of tasks. Have you got any, have you ever come across a particular go-to piece of technology that does it for you? Because I know some people use Google Drive, others use uh, Evernote. Have you come across something that's kind of like the the most amazing way of storing your guides? Well, there are there are quite a number of them, right? Everything from the SOPs to you know creating training mechanisms. Um, I, I do think that just to to reduce the technology burden, anything from Evernote to Dropbox, Google Drive is fine. Uh, Google has kind of a, a wiki type system you can use, and there are other systems like that. It, I would just say whatever the lowest barrier to entry is for you, just start documenting it and just start cataloging it. And don't make technology the obstacle because there's so many solutions out there. You can drive yourself nuts shopping around for them. Yeah, it amazes me sometimes when I see um, I see someone trying to put their pick pack process into Evernote when you kind of think, well, why don't you just print it out and put it by the pick pack station, you know, on a piece of paper on the wall? Because <laughs> it's sometimes yeah. it's kind of like, you don't need tech for this. You need a piece of paper and a pen <laughs> and that'll do it. Um, yeah, I definitely start with, uh, you know, for example, a lot of people are like, I don't like to rest, uh, write SOPs. They get caught up in the, you know, the the literature element of it. It's like, hey, just make a flow chart. If that's, you know, draw on a mm-hmm. flow chart with a piece of paper and a pen. And I do like to document it later and get it into something that we can all share as the team grows and look back on. But start with anything. Paper and uh, a pencil works just fine. And um, just for the audience, because they don't know what an SOP is, could you just explain an SOP to them? Oh, sure. Sorry. Uh, So an SOP, a lot of people call this a standard operating procedure. Some people call it a process, a system. There's lots of different names. But fundamentally, when you think about writing or documenting a system, sometimes they call it an SOP. And my point is don't let technology stand in your way. Start with a flow chart. Make sure you understand, you know, how things are coming in and out. And then document a little bit more, giving little tidbits of advice. Like, you know, here's a screenshot or here's a password to log in or, you know, whatever the case is. And whether you put that in Evernote or any other system, I'm agnostic. I don't care. Whatever works for you. Um, You know, over time, we have built our own ERP systems to kind of house this sort of training so that we keep it very systemic and very scalable. But that would certainly be something you're doing once you hit the 1 million mark, I'm guessing. For sure, yeah. So as soon as you start introducing more people to the the um, company, essentially, then you really have to have some of that stuff done. Otherwise, all you're doing is you're moving around the company knowledge, right, which is like an asset, the company knowledge, from your brain into somebody else's brain. And then if they leave, now you got to either take it from your brain and get it to the new somebody or – you know, it gets lost in translation. Maybe they've already uh, developed additional systems or processes or concepts, and then they leave the company, and all that equity of knowledge is gone. And so, I really do think that you know, documenting is about making your process of hiring and promotion and so forth easier than uh, as opposed to limiting you every time to have to start from ground zero again. Oh, so so true. But um, you mentioned those. You know, you mentioned that once it hits the fifty million fifty million dollar mark, you get a bit bored and it's time for you to move on. So, I guess, I guess, my next question is: which of the other stages is your favorite? Is it the zero to one, the one to ten, or the ten to fifty million? 
Yeah, uh, it's probably uh, it's probably the the one to ten, um, but it, it's you know the zero to one is really fun and uh, it's a little nutty because you know anything can go right, anything can go wrong. Uh, the one to ten I kind of like because you're catching the stride, the flywheel uh, is starting to turn. Uh, the ten to fifty is also fun because you're just watching numbers grow. But one to ten is probably my sweet spot of of happiness. <laughs> I like that because you know you've you you know you're onto a winner by that point, don't you? You know the flywheel's kicking in. You know that that the, there's the customer base out there. Exactly. Yeah. You've you know you're past the you know is this thing worth anything, and you're into the I wonder how big can this thing really get, and that's that's an exciting time. Kind of like the the doubling down and making the the good bits work and and so forth in that stage. That's exactly right. So um, I'm, although you love that stage, I'm going to make you shift back into the zero to one million, I'm afraid, because that's where the majority of our, of our customers are, so, or our listeners rather are. So do you have any kind of tips for those or, you know, pieces of advice and nuggets of advice you've had along the way for how you kind of kick that flywheel into gear? Yeah. So for me, and this is, this is kind of a level setting moment, right? Everybody is different and have their own kind of objectives and goals. And so one of the things that I always start with is, you know, my personal why, why is this um, business exist and how does it fit into my personal objectives? And that helps actually narrow down all of the, the other reasons that you do things. And in other words, your decision process becomes easier if you understand your why. And the why is not to make money. I know that's a, an element, but I really like people to think bigger picture. If you've ever read the or read the book, uh, The E-Myth or The E-Myth Revisited, they talk about the primary aim, the same concept. Once somebody knows their why, everything gets easier, especially that journey from zero to a million, because it gives you a concrete foundation on you know what, what makes sense for you and what doesn't. So that's number one, know your why. Does that make sense to you? That makes a lot of sense. So the next thing is just kind of stick to your knitting. It's like we often get distracted, and this is why knowing your why is so important. We get distracted by the next shiny object, right? It's like, hey, somebody uh, whispered a note about this new you know, uh, Brazilian marketplace or somebody said something about this or that. And it's like if you really haven't got your basic product uh, proven, if you, if you haven't proved the concept, uh, make sure you just stick to that very basic premise. You know, here's my product. And I'm trying to make a sale and then I want to make another sale and then I want to, you know, 10x that and, and 100x that. If you don't have a product that people are responding to, you probably don't have a business yet. So focus on the very simplest, most basic things. Don't try to get pulled into a thousand other little tactics and hacks. Okay, and that one, did you say stick to your knitting? Sorry, that's an American phrase. Ah. Yeah, stick to your knitting. I didn't want to gobsmack you there, but yeah, stick to your knitting. No, no, that's cool. I was just just double checking it was knitting because it makes a lot of sense. I just I just didn't want to have misheard it. So really avoid the bright, shiny objects and, and keep focused on what the core of the business is. Exactly. And, and again, people get caught up in, I need to do 100 things a day. And it's like, no, you probably don't. You need to you know, uh, I don't know if, if you guys are importing stuff or making stuff, but get that, whatever the stuff is, Get it online and drive people to buy that stuff. You know, get, generate awareness around that, that product that you're selling and just keep rinse and repeating until that thing gets scale, until you've proven the concept. Yeah, I, I find a, uh, I come across quite a lot of people who've they've got the site live and then 
they've tried one marketing method and they just kind of keep trying that single marketing method despite the fact it keeps not working and not you know in, in my mind you would kind of like go right we'll try this for a month we'll try this for a month we'll try this for a month is that kind of what you're advocating that kind of test and measure test and measure and keep moving on Definitely test a measure. I, I do think that there are some marketing channels, for example, that you, uh, maybe even Facebook as a, a really clear example, it may take you 20 or 30 different campaigns to figure out how to make that thing work. Um, but you don't have to spend $1,000 every time. You can spend you know, 5 to $35 and go, nope, this audience is not working. Test another one. And, and really get good at it until you can figure out who's going to buy your product. And then you replicate that across multiple uh, advertising channels. That's what we do anyway. And that seems to work. I have to I have to say, and maybe you found this as well. Um, one of the, the most amazing things I find about Facebook ads is the fact that you can quickly get answers with very low budgets. You know, Google AdWords, you seem to have to spend hundreds, if not thousands to get answers and to learn what does and doesn't work. But Facebook ads, it seems to be you can spend 20, 30 and you've actually learned, yes, that, that's probably going to work. No, that isn't. And that's just been a breath of fresh air in my experience. Yeah, it is something uh, unique and I think something that people should pay close attention to. AdWords requires much more scale uh, mm-hmm. for testing and it's still extraordinarily powerful. I'm not taking anything away from it, but the, the uh, experimentation costs are much higher with AdWords uh, in my experience as well. So from what you're saying about your ad strategy, you would use Facebook to find out the messaging and the type of audience that works and then roll that into other mediums such as Google AdWords. Indeed. Very clever. Very clever, sir. I like that one. Um, And we're talking here about using advertising and paying money to grow the business. There are a lot of people out there who, who try and do the growth simply through organic social media and organic search. I believe you have to pay as well if you really want to grow at any kind of speed. Would you Would you agree with that or do you start everything from day one? Well, I can just say I have an axiom that basically says something like you don't have a real business until you can pour money in the top and have profitable money come out of the bottom, right? And there, there's no way that you're going to have a big business. I shouldn't say no way. It's very unlikely that you're going to generate a big business without spending money on advertising. And so I know that there's, you know, the SEO guys and they want to, you know, you can do it on SEO on Google and there's the SEO Amazon guys. We're going to make this marketplace work and and get squeeze all the magic pixie dust out of this thing. And that's fine. These, these sorts of techniques can work for some period of time, but they don't work forever. And as somebody who's watched the evolution of Google and watched us literally print money from the SEO in the old days. It was, it was hmm. so easy to rank in that algorithm in the old days to now it's like, forget about it. You just, you just pay Google. That's what they want. That's what they're going to get. And Facebook will, um, has already moved uh, very quickly to that. Amazon will move very quickly to that. So, you know, for those who just expect, you know, social media to magically make things happen, I just don't think that's going to create a big business. Yes, there's exceptions and I'm sure I could come up with some of those exceptions myself. But if you really want a real business, you pour money in the top in the marketing funnel and you get profitable profit coming out of the bottom. Now, Steve, building on on that brilliant uh, visual aid of the, the money coming in and out of the funnel, you've been in retail through bricks, through bricks and clicks, through, you know, decades of change. And 
I know now you're also working on, you know, with Amazon as well to get sales. Is it, you know, I, I come across lots of businesses who don't want to go onto marketplaces. They don't want to sell on Amazon and eBay. Do you think that's a crazy position these days or is there still a huge role for your own website? Well, so first, uh, another axiom is you don't have a world-class brand if you're in a single channel. So I, I have all kinds of axioms that I just, it's because I repeat myself a lot. It's like, ah, I'm just making that a rule. <laughs> uh, that way I don't seem crazy. Um, so the, the point for me is, yes, I love uh, your own website and your own brand. And I want you to, to make that channel work. But I see no risk. And there may be some exceptions. Again, context is everything. I'm sure somebody will go, well, I don't want, you know, my particular product on this marketplace for whatever reason. In general, I reject all of those reasons. And I would just say there are different customers shopping in these different channels. And if you're not in front of them, somebody else is. That's as simple as it gets. Okay, so building on that, because I'm now just in the mood to fire a couple of big old questions at you here. Um, So brace yourself for this one. So um, is the... Is the startup business or the smaller business who's running the boutique model online, you know, where they're creating a, they're curating a collection of products manufactured by someone else. Is there still a place for that? Or is it now, if you want to succeed, if you want to become that world-class brand, you have to have your own product unique to you? So that's, that is a really good question. And I I think anybody who's kind of in that uh, boutique curated uh, model you know, should take a very close look at how they're adding value. Um, clearly, there are curated models that exist on fairly large scales, right, where uh, mm-hmm. big places sell other people's stuff. My, my main question goes back to the entrepreneur and goes, what's your, why are you doing this? What's the point? And if you're trying to make something that has equity and is relatively easy to build uh, and is relatively easy to, you know, manage and scale – I, I don't like arbitrage because I don't think there's equity in arbitrage for, for most people. And that's why I like people to make their own brands in whatever way they see fit and, and drive their own products. And it's a little harder to get started than selling other people's stuff, which is what I did, by the way. I started selling other people's mm-hmm. stuff. And in the early 2001, 2002, we went to all private label because there was no money in it when we're fighting everybody. Um, so it's a good way to kind of generate a little cash flow and a little turnover, but the equity comes in profitable sales and building your own brand from my perspective. And now just for, because we don't use the word arbitrage quite so much in the UK as you guys do in the States by arbitrage, you're meaning buying someone else's products and then selling those. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so if you buy a branded product, and, you know, whether it's buying it through a wholesale channel or a closeout channel or whatever, and then you're selling somebody else's brand on your website or on a marketplace, we would refer to that as arbitrage. It's just a buy and a sell, and you try to make money, you know, off of the difference. That, again, for me, doesn't have the equity uh, of brand building that, uh, that I really want entrepreneurs to embrace. It's like, hey, don't just make this a job. Make it something you can sell and exit and, and have a, a really nice wealth creation at the end of the day. Excellent. Steve, you've given us loads of great advice so far, and um, we're going to be going to the top tips round shortly, but I figure I should just kind of open you, ask you a very, very open question, which is, is there one more message or um, axiom or lesson you'd like to get across to the listeners before we go into that top tips round? Yeah, the only thing I would say is 
you know, often we get caught up in the day-to-day grind and real entrepreneurs end up feeling isolated. They feel alone and uh, at times. And so I would highly recommend that they find a tribe just like the one you're supporting here on the podcast. And, you know, whether it's an online market or online uh, forums or whatever, but interact with your tribe and share the tips with each other. You know, the people who listen to these uh, podcasts are not alone, right? There's a whole world of people just like us. And I just say support each other and help each other as best you can because it makes things a lot easier and more fulfilling when you do. Excellent advice. Okay, let's get into the top tips round, which I love because it gives all of us some quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So Steve, first up is the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Uh, gosh, I love to learn. So this is a good one. Um, I, I would say that the number one book, if people haven't already read it, would be The E-Myth or The E-Myth Revisited to kind of get themselves focused on stop being, stop creating a job for yourself and start creating a business for yourself. Um, but there's so many good books, you know, regarding China, regarding scaling up or marketing. Uh, there's, I definitely recommend people try to li- read at least a book a week, maybe a you know, a couple books a month if you can't keep that pace, but it really helps to to drive knowledge into your brain. Excellent. Okay, the traffic top tip, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Well, this one I would say is is more of a, um, it really works and it's great cost per click. Uh, it's not the biggest one yet, but it it's, has really good ROI and profitability. And that one is Pinterest. So, Believe it or not, we get really low-cost clicks and maintaining good conversion on that channel. And it's it's still kind of a, a sniper play because not everybody's using it. Not everybody understands it, but it really can work. Excellent advice. And I think that's the first time someone's mentioned Pinterest ads in our traffic top tip. So a top, top tip. Uh, the tool top tip next then, uh, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plug in a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? So over time, we've used Asana uh, to, to do task management. And we share that, you know, amongst the team and we share it with, uh, outside contractors who may be responsible for deliverable. And, you know, basically it's mostly a free tool. uh, And I think it's very nice graphics. I think it's very well done. And if you really treat it as a project management task delegation system, I think it can be very effective. I'm a big Asana fan as well. I always like it when someone mentions Asana. Um, Okay, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? So my number one tip is if they're not already in multiple channels, to get in multiple channels. Uh, You know, it's it's short-sighted. Even if you're selling somebody else's branded product, it's short-sighted to just try to limit it to your own site, in my opinion. Amazon is dominating in the U.S. 50% of all you know, uh, e-commerce is done uh, in the United States on Amazon. This is growing around the world. Get into other marketplaces. And I'm not just saying Amazon. I think you know, eBay, uh, for some people, Wish, um, you know, Jet and Walmart, and there's many, many others. But why not look at some of these other channels? Because if your product already makes sense in one channel, chances are it'll make sense in another channel without you having to relearn new skills or make a new product or what have you. 
Oh, yet more excellent advice. Masterplan World, you can find the top tips and links to everything else we've been chatting about in today's episode by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, where you will see a link to this show. Steve, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find out more about you and what you're up to on the web and social media, please? Yeah, I think the easiest way uh, is if people just find me at stevensimonson.com, S-T-E-V-E-N, S-I-M-O-N-S-O-N. I know it's a mouthful there. Steve Simonson or stevensimonson.com. And I just, I, I share some of the things that I'm working on there. Most of it is entrepreneurial oriented. Um, we have just started a, a co-op for e-commerce companies where the members own the co-op. It's a nonprofit and we help people uh, find resources and get discounts on things that they, they wouldn't have access to normally. These are the types of things that I spend my time doing because I love entrepreneurs. So Uh, And I'm online. I'm at your service. I love entrepreneurs. So anything I can do. Awesome. Well, look, Steve, I'll add a link to your website and everything else we talked about today in the show notes. Masterplan World, again, you can find those at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, or just go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. Steve, you've been a mine of awesome information that's got my head spinning. Um, So I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You've been you've been a brilliant guest. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. What a wealth of knowledge. Um, And Steve really does care about helping entrepreneurs. So if you've got questions for him, do head over to his website and follow the links and let him know. Uh, Just to, just to, I'm not even going to repeat what he said. I think we should all listen to this one again, um, because otherwise I'm just going to read out all of my notes. Oh, no, maybe, maybe I should give you some head ups. So only systemize the problems until you hit the 1 million mark. That was kind of the first one. And build the right systems, the ones that actually get used. Make sure you've got that personal why, because that's going to drive your success as you grow to the million mark. Stick to your knitting as well. Avoid those bright, shiny objects and focus in on getting the product right. If you're going to go down the curating route, the the route of um, arbitrage, of selling other people's products, make sure it's the it's definitely the way you want to go because the equity is now in creating your own product sell in multiple channels if you really want to get big and you don't have a real business until you can pour money in the top and see profit out the bottom oh so wise um, please do share your thoughts about this episode and all others in our Facebook group that you'll find at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook, where you'll also get to hang out with like-minded people and get their support and their ideas. And uh, have a great week. And don't forget to keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the Ecommerce Masterplan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.